Hello, and welcome to Workforce Insights with Employ Milwaukee podcast. I'm Shaitania Brown, president and CEO of Employ Milwaukee, the local workforce development board serving Milwaukee County. As the world of work has taken a dramatic shift since the onset of the COVID-19 pandemic, some alliances and linkages remain as important as ever. In particular, the link between education and all its various forms and employment has perhaps never been so interdependent. Although educational institutions have had to creatively alter how they facilitate teaching, the value of education in the world of employment remains vital. Today, I am so delighted to be joined by a very special guest who's not only an expert in educational matters, but is also a living legend given her numerous accomplishments and affiliations both locally and nationally, the one and only Dr. Joan Prince. Dr. Prince served as the vice chancellor at the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee, where she's the chief administrator for the divisions of global inclusion and engagement and partnership and innovation. That's a mouthful. On September 12, 2012, Dr. Prince was nominated by President Barack Obama to the key administrative post of alternative representative for the 67th General Assembly of the United Nations with the honorary rank of ambassador. In addition, Dr. Prince serves as a corporate board director for the Managed Health Services, a subsidiary of Centene Corporation, a director of C.G. Smith Construction Company, and a corporate director of Great Lakes Higher Education Corporation. Now, I can go on and on with a slew of her additional affiliations and duties, but I think you get the picture. She's a major player in our community. With that being said, welcome to the show, Dr. Prince. We're so excited to have you with us today. So with your seemingly endless list of executive level roles and responsibilities, tell us, how do you, how, how do you have the time to do all of this? <laughs> well, first of all, thank you, my sister. It's, it is certainly good to hear your voice. And of course, I always say this and I say it with deep meaning. Uh, thank you for all that you do in the seat that you occupy. Uh, we need to occupy more of those seats. So thank you for stepping up and, and, and doing that. Uh, we have our eye on you and we're here to support you for whatever you need. I, I, you know, I always smile when I get this question because as you can imagine, I do get the question often about how do you find time to do this, that or the other. But one of my mentors many, many, many years ago said to me, I think I was in my early 20s, and you, some of you might remember his name if you're almost my age, and that uh, name was Marty Stein. And Marty and I were out at breakfast one morning, and he said to me, I was saying, you know, Marty, I, everybody's approaching me for these boards, and I'm on different, you know, I've, I've said yes to three, and how many do I stop at, and da 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 and I said, I just don't think I have time for everything. And he looked me in the eye and said, I am getting ready to ask you an important question. And that question is, are you doing only that which is important to you and that you have a passion for? And I said, nope, I'm doing, I'm saying yes when I'm asked. Mm -hmm. So how I find time to do it is I've matured over the years. Uh, you know the saying that no is a is a complete sentence. No is a complete sentence. So I've learned to say no to that which I don't have a passion for and to limit myself so that I can do the best that I can do, plus have Joan time. So that's how you, you know, that's how I whittle down what's important to me and what I want to spend my time on. You know, what, is, what, is, what do I have a passion for, number one, and number two, 
Uh, does it allow me to still keep that Joan time? So that's, that's how I approach life. And that's how I've approached uh, everything that, that I've been fortunate enough to have come my way. Wow. And, I, you know, I can truly appreciate that, you know, as you grow in ranks and, and you start to take on elevated roles, as you mentioned, people come at you from all different ways to be a part of different things. And to hear you say, um, you know, to do what's most important to you, that is very good and sound advice. And I truly I can appreciate that a lot. So. With the various public health and safety protocols um, that's been issued by the governor and the mayor, how has the university been able to manage and conduct learning for student body during this pandemic so far? Um, You know what? I have to say how proud I am uh, of how we have actually handled uh, the pandemic. You know, the first thing that we did, which I which I hope uh, most companies and institutions did is that you listen to the CDC regulations and the Milwaukee Health Department guidelines. That's the bottom line. You can't make, first of all, you can't make up a pandemic. Uh, But number two, more importantly, you can't just uh, make up how, what your strategy is going to be for addressing the pandemic and keeping people safe. Uh, We worked, uh, put a team together, a, a really great Uh, response team on campus. Uh, We thought about not just our students, but remember, we've got a workforce Mm -hmm. that's there as well. And how do we keep them safe? Do we test? Do we not test? Uh, Do we bring everyone back in the classroom? Do we only bring some back in the classroom? For those that are, are quote unquote, not, I don't necessarily love the term, but I'll use it so that people can recognize it. And that is essential workers, mm-hmm. because to me, if you have a job, you're essential. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, the essential workers, how do we keep them safe? Uh, we have students, you know what? They have nowhere to go. Right. And I think people forget that. The traditional college student does what? They go home during break. Mom and dad are there. Mm -hmm. They're so happy to see you, this and that. Mm -hmm. That is not our traditional student body. So some of them had, we're not going to throw you out on the street. Mm -hmm. So some of them were, um, had contracts to stay in the residence halls. They have nowhere to go. They had no home to go to. So we did what I think is just an awesome job. We made sure that they had, vouchers so they could go get food Mm -hmm. because we couldn't bring up food service. We made sure that there's testing. We test on campus. So we, we do those workers whose jobs, let's talk about essential, whose jobs could not be done virtually. So it's a lot of our maintenance crew, Mm -hmm. you know, some of our lower paid workers who can't go without a paycheck. They can't wait 12 months for unemployment to do its part. So we said, you know what? Just because you're here on the workforce level doesn't mean you're dumb, you're smart. So we taught them how to test. You just rearrange and realign people. And so they test those students that have to come on campus who have to be in certain labs because of accreditation. Um, So we have adjusted. We have half the students online. Uh, We have some that have to show up in the classroom. And the one thing that I really would like the listener to know is that every student isn't the same. And what we did successfully, what we are doing successfully is looking at the learner who cannot learn virtually. Everyone does not have access 
to a home or a place where they can plug in and tune everything else out around them and they learn well virtually. So we brought in mentors for those mm-hmm. students, those peer mentors to help them. So we've done a lot. And I'm, I'm proud to say that even for those that did test positive, because you're not going to get out of a pandemic without somebody around you testing mm-hmm. positive, we were able to isolate it. We were able to quarantine. And we have had, and I'm knocking on wood, which is probably my head. <laughs> um, we have been able to contain any outbreak. There are no outbreaks on our campus. So I just, I just wanted to give that shout out mm-hmm. to the individual workers who to me are all essential because our number one goal is to keep students safe. It's to keep our workforce safe. And I will tell you, you come on our campus and it looks like a a hospital for COVID. People are masked. They're wearing hopefully their their UWM masks and those that need to uh, have their N95s. You you name it, we're doing it. Hand sanitizers everywhere. It's called guidelines and do what... what, um, CDC and the health department tell you to do. And and that's so refreshing to hear. And I like, you know, taking it back to the point where you mentioned not everyone are good online learners. And the fact that, you know, the world got thrown into this online learning, whether it be for secondary school children or even college students, you know, taking into consideration. So I like to hear you all saying you thought about that and and to bring in mentors because, you know, just going online and expecting everyone to be at that same level. um, Some folks just aren't good at that. I'm one of those people. And, and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's a struggle for some people to to get to that point. So that's really refreshing to hear that UWM took that into consideration. So changing the topic a little bit with the killing of George Floyd, the country uh, went into civic, a huge wave of civic unrest across the country, including here in Milwaukee, where you hear calls for police reform, uh, racial reckoning, equity and justice for black Americans. Many organizations have vowed to improve their diversity, equity and inclusion landscapes. So in your role as vice chancellor and chief administrator for the Division of Global Inclusion, Engagement, Partnership and Innovation with the university, how did that episode in this aftermath math affect what it is that you do in your current role and what the university is doing to address that? I think those that know me know I'm very open and transparent and that doesn't change uh, whether I'm on a podcast or a video conference or, or, or we're having uh, coffee uh, somewhere. So let me say this, the awakening of America and the world around George Floyd, George Floyd is not the first black man that mm-hmm. has died. Uh, and will not be the last, will not be the last, let me be blunt. What it has done for, and I'll, and I'll start with the university, what it has done for us is simply to heighten my work more. Uh, we now have a required training for all of our faculty and staff, an anti-racist, anti-bias training. Mm-hmm. I, I brought together some faculty and staff. They actually wrote a fabulous curriculum And if you want to be employed by us, guess what? You have to go through that training, Mm -hmm. period. You don't get to opt out. You you don't get to say, you know, not me or uh, or some emails say I'm not racist. I said everybody is racist. Every walking human being has something Mm -hmm. inside of them they need to work on. So for us, it really has made us continuously hold the mirror up to ourselves. I think we're more careful 
and more strategic in understanding when faculty of color, staff of color say something, it's not brushed off. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's just much more of a strategic focus on trying to get the climate and the opportunities right. Not saying that it wasn't never there before. Mm-hmm. We worked on that. But I think most of us who are either hold part of our titles at, as chief inclusion officer or chief diversity officer, people are starting to listen to you more than simply smiling and nodding, as I call it. Uh, it's, it's much more, ex- there's a much more expected role to pay attention to anti-racist, anti-bias um, acts and ways to just strategize and bring people together. Uh, Shatania, I think at the end of the day, what it will do, though, is help us keep our eyes open to make sure that the impact lasts. Yes. You know, this time next year, when the pandemic is over, when the trials of the officers in Minnesota are complete, what will the world, what will UWM, what will other institutions of higher ed still do? Right. What will right. they still expect and what will the impact be? So uh, we're working on things, but at the end of the day, it is a long process for change. Very long process, process that's been in the works for many, many years. Um, And like you said, this notion of impact, you know, it's not about, you know, uh, the conversations as we, you know, implemented a new diversity program and our job. That's not enough. What's the impact Mm -hmm. of that to just, you know, hire people to do those particular roles? What does that mean? What is the impact for the company, its employees, and then its impact within the community? So, yeah, you know, that's good to hear impact. And this is something that, you know, I'm really curious to know about, you know, how have you as an African-American woman executive leader been able to effectively and successively navigate the waters of your careers? And then is there anything that you would do differently if given the chance Ah. to do all over? (laughs) I love those, you know, what would you have done types (laughs) types of questions, you know, and I do get asked this and, and, and I always try to say that. The water that you navigate doesn't necessarily mean that you ever get to the other side. So I start off on one side of the beach. Mm-hmm. My goal, looking across the lake to see how long it's going to take me uh, to get to the other side. Will I still be in a rowboat? Will I have made it to a sailboat by middle of the lake? Will I, will I arrive on the other side or will I be able to look out and see the other side and I'm in a yacht? I mean, that's how I look at, at sort mm-hmm. of that progress. I would say that besides being very lucky and having great mentors mm-hmm. along the way, I learned from the hills and valleys. So I learned from any mistakes that I made and did my best not to do them again, whether they were leadership mistakes, whether they were thinking about, did I take the right opportunity? You know, right. uh, am I working on the right thing? Um, I would say minimizing damage has helped. And by that, I mean, sticking to your strategy. What's important? How do you get closure and impact? And how do you do that without damaging other people? Mm -hmm. Um, I've never, you know, I, I have watched people and I think we all know people that will climb over a dead body to get what they want. Yeah. And that's never been me in a career. Um, 
I've been very lucky. I'd say 90% of the things that I've gone after, I have gotten. But the ones that I didn't, those were my, those were my lessons. Mm-hmm, those mm-hmm. were my true lessons. So I've learned who to let in my life from a professional point standpoint and who not to let in. And I think that that's helpful as well. I won't say that I, I, I'm not a I wish I had person. Mm-hmm. So if I could say something to Joni, uh, you know, 30 years ago, that Joan, I think the only change I would consider was my first job. And I know this is going to be horrible for some employers, <laughs> but my first job, while I loved it, I stayed way too long, mm-hmm. way too long. And I try to tell my mentees, I'm not a person who plans every little thing in life. How boring that is. I like some spontaneity. But I also stayed at at one job, my first truly professional job where I had a staff and a team that I led. I was there 17 years. And I, if I could rewind anything, I would have left after 10 years because I had done what mm-hmm. I could do. I had a great time at the job and thank goodness another opportunity came along Mm -hmm. or I might have still stayed there and all of the other beautiful things that I was able to be a part of in life wouldn't have happened. I might not be on this podcast with you. I might not have known you. So that's the only thing I think I would change and I would say to people who are listening to think about in their careers. Right. And for those who are listening, I mean, you've given some really good advice now for people who are out there looking for jobs during these troubling times. What advice would you give them? Oh, easy, easy, easy. You must be flexible and you must be flexible. You must think about a job hunt differently. It's probably going to be virtual versus that in person where they get to see you in your new suit uh, where, you know, you get to put that nicely, beautiful uh, resume in a nice folder in front of them and have a conversation. You have to figure out how to do that virtually. So what you need, number one, is, is, is what you, I would suggest strongly that you think about the non-traditional in your job search. Number two, the traditional jobs are probably not going to exist on the other side of COVID. Right. So we're not going back to the past. We're going to the, towards that normal. And I'm not, I'm not even going to say a new normal. It's our normal now for many right. people. So think about um, what can your skill set take you? What area, what different direction can it take you? Uh, because you are an, uh, a teacher, maybe you're a fifth grade teacher. And on the other side of COVID, you're going to work for a university, maybe. Mm-hmm. or a company doing education mm-hmm. or something else you could use the skill set for. So I would say think non-traditional, think how you can sell yourself in a virtual interview mm-hmm. uh, and really think about what talent and skill you ha- skills that you have and what are the non-obvious jobs that might be successful or, or help you hone those skills in a different direction. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's a critical point that even as we here at Employee continue to try and work with individuals and we've seen the war notices come in back to back to back yes. and we do have people who are 
saying, you know, I don't we know employers probably will not bring back every person that they laid off. Um, and we do know employees. Some of them will decide, you know what, I want to go in a completely different direction Absolutely. altogether and not go back to that job. And I think it's a mindset change for people. Um, we got to get out of this habit of looking at the world as what it was yesterday. Right. Really looking at how do we ad- adapt and adjust for what it is today? Because this is where we are. And so where we are. listeners, if, if, if you heard anything I think that was some very sound advice um, that was given and so you know my last question for you is a question around the leadership so just thinking about how we lead in these difficult times what are some um, leadership advice or um, something you would give to leaders during this time because you know here we are we we you know for those of us that are working and have employees and just looking at you know how we've had to go remote and how we've had to look at virtual options as part of our daily business is there Mm -hmm. some some advice you would give to leaders in in leading their teams and even the business as a whole absolutely I would say that since we are closeted, we're still basically quarantined in a home. If you're Mm -hmm. working virtually, you are stuck to these Zooms, to whatever format you use, you know, a minimum of eight hours a day. The research shows that you work longer and harder when you're working virtual. Uh, you You don't pull yourself away from that screen. So I think my job as a leader is to do a couple of things in this environment. It's to continuously work with staff on what their mental health is during this time. Uh, As a leader, get your top reports and have those one-on-ones and say, I know we're not together, but let's talk. Let's Mm -hmm. talk confidentially. How are you doing? Right. You know, I know you have four children at home who are in the back bedroom, banished to the back room on their Zoom uh, doing classwork. Are you losing your mind? What can I do to help stabilize that for you? Uh, Do we need to have you disassociate yourself from Zooms one day a week? You know, tell me what I need to do for you. So that's the first thing I think a leader can do is check on that mental health status uh, of your staff, of your team. The second thing that I try to do, and I have, I just have a great, uh, a great team that report up to me. Once a month in our divisional uh, online meetings, we have a scavenger hunt. They plan an actual activity during the last 15 minutes of our divisional meeting. And they come up with some creative things. I mean, they have you running through your house, trying to find whatever's on the list in five minutes or three minutes. And then they actually will mail prizes out to you, but add, add some levity, add some laughter, Uh, do something as a leader to lighten the situation. That's critical. That's critical. And don't forget to add value to your direct reports. Tell them, thank you for the job that you're doing during these times. I've never been more proud of you than how you stood up to do this, that, or the other. Uh, and, then, and then be open and say, what do you need? And what is it that I haven't supplied for you that, I, that you need? Be open to telling me that. So I think there are a lot of things leaders can do because we set the tone. And if we're not going to set the tone correctly, it's just not going to happen. And that, that, you know, I can appreciate that so much. That mental health piece is critical given now a lot of people, you know, that was one of those taboo types of things. People didn't want to talk about it, but it's just right now with the way things are. And like you said, it's just everything about 
what we've been doing. And even though we've went virtual, our virtuals in our homes and it's just right in our homes. And, and, and that's so critical. Even, you know, me being an executive of the organization, I walk into my house forgetting my daughter is on her Zoom and I right. go to talking <laughs> and she's like, mom, you know, you just got to remember <laughs> these things. And it's like, you know, I'm feeling some type of way because I'm like, I'm at home. But at the same time, it, it it's it it does wear you down and it, it's it different for all of us. We we have been in this unknown territory for seven months A now and time. um really with no understanding of when we're gonna come out of this. So exactly. um I appreciate that advice. I appreciate uh, you so very much oh. for agreeing to come and being a part of the podcast. If nobody else took anything from this, this was very, very insightful and enlightening for me just to be able to have this conversation with you um, and to be able to give our job seekers, our leaders, um, and just to really get an understanding of you and where you stand um, in our community. You're a very important voice in our community and to just hear you give advice is it's critical um, because that's where the impact comes in people who's been in this community, who cares about this community, who wants to see the community be its best. Um, that's refreshing to have you on board. And so um, are there any parting words that you like to leave to our listeners before we conclude today? The final thing I will say is leave this world a better place than you found it. And you do that by caring about everyone as much as you care about yourself. And on that note, thank you so much, Dr. Prince. And I truly will be in touch with you. Take good care. Thanks for listening to Workforce Insights, where workforce development is our business. Make sure to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about Employment Milwaukee, visit www.employmentwalkie.org. That's www.employmentwalkie.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll be back next time with a new episode.